0: Area 941 podcasts are produced and distributed by community-powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941
1: at kpfa.org. This is the Bay Area Theater Podcast. I'm Richard Wolinsky, with interviews conducted over the years and during the pandemic with playwrights, directors, actors, and producers. Hershey Felder has made a career of creating solo shows in which he portrays different composers performing their work on the piano. His first show, George Gershwin Alone, began in 1999 in a Los Angeles workshop. He later went on to portray Leonard Bernstein, Tchaikovsky, Chopin, Beethoven, and Debussy. He performed George Gershwin Alone at Berkeley Rap back in 2013 and I had a chance to interview him about that production and his career. Hershey Felder will be performing George Gershwin Alone on Sunday, September 13th at 5 p.m. Pacific, live from Florence, Italy. You can find out more by going to the Berkeley Rep or Works Silicon Valley websites. This show began about 20 years ago. What prompted you to create a show where you would play George Gershwin on, uh, on stage? actually what prompted it was the fact
0: that I was much more interested in playing the role of Chopin on stage. And I was young. I was unknown. Nobody knew who I was as an actor. Nobody knew who I was as a pianist. And we all have these big, brilliant ideas that we're going to be big stars the moment we step on the stage, none of which is true. I had uh, a director who was interested in my work, a famous one, Joel Zwick. I was in Los Angeles. And I said, um, well, I'd like to play This role of Chopin, maybe you'll help me get it to work and so on and so forth. And he says, All right, you're going to play a composer that only classical music people know. Nobody has any clue who you are and nobody cares. So, what's the point of this and who's going to come? You need to do something that people will at least have a connection to in terms of the general public. And then, after, as you get more well known, should sure you get well known, then you can move into other more esoteric territory. I didn't know quite what to do other than that I had played the Gershwin Rhapsody in London when I was 19 years old. That was the first time I played it in public with orchestra there. And I was just quite taken by the reception to the Rhapsody. I've played a lot of um, classical music in public, you know, uh, Beethoven and Bach and uh, And I had also acted classically as a child, but I had never played the Gershwin until I was 19. You know, I was much more familiar with and so i learned this thing and i played it and the reaction was so strong from the public i said wow this is fun who is this composer gershwin who is this guy
1: so you weren't that familiar with him at that point you basically just stuck with the classical canon as a pianist
0: correct i wasn't familiar enough to know much about him personally and i do you know you know you know the concerto you knew it was one of the things that people played but other than that not much at all and was much more fascinated with the 19th century, 19th century Romantic composers and, you know, sort of Beethoven, Chopin, list those characters. And so I um, found myself studying Gershwin and saying, well, you know, maybe that'd be a character. That was just the beginning because, of course, it's tied to all kinds of rights and issues, persona rights and music rights. And so I had to seek out the family and they said, no. <laughs> I said, well, let me try. You know, somebody says no and you get a little pushy about it, you hope for the best. And so I said, let me try. And I tried. And what came out was something that excited people. But I thought it'd be only three weeks. People would come and see my little show at the Tiffany Theater in Los Angeles. That would be the end of it. Well, that was 3,000 performances ago, probably 50 productions all over the world. You know, it's one of those things who knew. But then again, The Gershwin name is magic, as is the music, or the music is magic, as is the name. It holds great nostalgia for people in this country, but also there's people have, they're personally connected to it. This one has a story with love is here to stay. This happened at my wedding and the other one embraceably. That's what my boyfriend sang and young and old. The discovery is constant. Look, Porgy and Bess is part of American lore. The Rhapsody and Blues American lore. I don't know who established the rocket that goes up into space that tells future generations or that tells aliens who we are with these very strange things. I think you have a list of a number of songs, well, not songs, but pieces, you know, proving how advanced humanity is, one of which is the Gershwin Rhapsody, as well as Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. So you think the dude is coupled with good folks, and so there is a reason
1: to tell that story. Now, you had been a child prodigy, or how did you wind up on the stage with an orchestra at 19? Well, 19 is already old,
0: you know, for that kind of thing. But how I wound up on that is some manager saw me play somewhere and said, I'd like to bring it along, and that was it. Prodigy is something anybody can be described as a prodigy. No, I was a kid who worked hard and really had a, a dream to do this and knew the kind of work it would take for that dream to see. To come to fruition, and it's all about work. It's constant. I mean, it's you know midday now, and I have show tonight, and yet here I am at the theater, practicing for the next show. Not even this music, but the next upcoming one is Liszt. It starts in September, and you gotta get those fingers running. Learn the music all the time. You practice every day for a couple hours now. Yeah, I've had periods where I've had to take time off just because the body has to recuperate. And when it's practicing, it's more than a couple hours. It's you know six, seven hours. So.
1: When you're creating the Gershwin piece, uh, what kind of research did you do? Did you listen? I mean, at that point, I don't even know if the piano rolls were available on disc or anything. They were. Well, it wasn't just the piano rolls. What was more relevant were his the radio shows.
0: And, you know, like everybody, I read all the research. I actually met the biographers Lauren Stewart and um, Ed Yablonsky in New York. I met all the family members, still extant, Kitty Carlisle, who had stories to tell everybody. And, you know, you talk, you know, everybody thinks you're crazy until you do it. And then people think, oh, it's not so bad. And then they want to be your friend. So it was a fun process. But I think, you know, the, uh, people say, oh, you must be in love with Gershwin and his music. I am fascinated by it. But I'm in love with a lot of artists. You know, it's it's not a one thing. It's not. A, Gershwin was never my hero. I was fascinated with him and... Fascinated with his melodic invention. And the this Russian kid or, you know, immigrant, Russian immigrant kid grows up in New York and gives America its voice. I mean, Russia produced a food good one serving Berlin and this one, you know. So it was a fascinating story to tell. And everybody loves a pseudo rags to riches kind of story, which this is.
1: Hershey Felder playing the Rhapsody 3,000 times. got tiresome? It's dangerous because the musculature starts to go on
0: you. I mean, anything really, you know, as I've said to people to try and describe what doing a show like this is eight times a week for months and months on end, people don't really understand. I said, well, here, I have an idea. I asked people, do you go to the gym? They said, yes, and go to the gym. I said, okay. And you lift a certain amount of weights. Yes, but I changed things around. I said, okay, now go to the gym every evening at eight o'clock for two hours do exactly the same routine every day with the same weight. With every I said, what's going on? Oh, my muscles are shriveled because that, you know, you have to change things up. I said, well, I don't have that luxury. My job is to give 1,000% to anybody who's there or whether it's one person or 13,000, which I have played at a place like Ravinia in Chicago. Your job is to do it at 100%. It's not to do it at 80%. As, as my father used to say to me as a kid, did you finish your studies? Yeah, I'm almost good. You know, I'll probably get... Oh, I'll do okay. I'll maybe... He says, how do you study to do okay? <laughs> study to do brilliantly. And whatever you do is you do. You don't study to do okay. And it's a similar thing. You don't. you don't get up on the stage and hope for the best. You need to do it for real.
1: And so that's what I do. The play itself, has it changed over the years?
0: Well, several things, you know. In the first couple of years, I was always toying with text, but now I don't anymore because you don't break something that's not broken. But what has changed is my interpretation, what I'm able to do on the stage. First of all, I've become a much better actor. You learn the craft, you become comfortable with the craft, you know who you are, you know what you're doing. So I've become better at it. And that infuses the whole operation. And I understand him better. You know, when I started him I'd never gotten even knocked at in reviews or anything, you know. Touting the little the little boy wonder who can play piano and talk. And all of a sudden you start growing up, people start knocking you around a bit. You go, Ah, that's what George Gershwin must have felt like. So, you know, a lot of growth. And um, I don't know how many actors there are, pianists, but actors who grew up in a role. I grew up in a role,
1: you know. Does um, that change how you view your other roles when you do Beethoven or Liszt?
0: Well, I take them each on their own terms, you know. it. I'm not stuck to one method. What I have learned is what doesn't work. I can tell you right away, oh, that's not gonna work, and I know. How? Well, it's just a certain things, there are certain, um, how shall we say, we're bound by the medium that we're in. We're bound by the relationship. We're bound by one guy talking to an audience. And there is this impression oh, that you must act and you must show scenes and so on. That's actually false the most successful acting of this sort is the most honest, direct approach to your audience. And then they really believe who you are. And my theory is the audience needs to believe who's
1: standing there. Hershey Felder, there are times when it feels as if you're breaking character but not breaking character at the same time so that we know that it's you and we know that it's Gershwin at the same time.
0: There are some fun things that I do not that it's me because it really isn't me as i mean i guess you saw the performance the other night as you can see as a person i'm much softer i'm much quieter i'm much softer. he that guy is punchy and he's very energetic and you know he speaks with a very clipped kind of new york i don't i'm much more um, docile i'm european i'm very quiet it's not me what it's the suggestion that i'm trying to do is that he's got subtext going on and the subtext is Love me, love me, love me because when I died, because the character is dead and when I died, I don't didn't know what happened to my music. And that's the point of the play is at the end of the piece, the only person in the room who doesn't know what happened to his music is George Gershwin. And I think that's the underscore, the undertone of the whole thing. That's what he's really saying. He's saying, please,
1: somebody love me. Please, please, please. After the show you... You kind of open it up to the audience a little bit, which is which is fun because we get to hear different things and you get to be spontaneous. Free More for you, mm-hmm. you
0: know? it's a free for all. There I am me, and there that's you know me hosting a party. But it's a post-performance party as Gershwin would have hosted, and he would have taken his stage persona off and he would have hosted his party, and that's what I do, and it's fun. People sing, they choose songs, we have a party until all hours. It was discovered by accident. I thought we'd do it one day in a Broadway show, uh, on Broadway. People really loved it. I said, oh my God, this is a thing. (laughs) So so it became a thing.
1: Over the years, you've learned a lot about Gershwin. Now, obviously, as you say, you're not going to change the text. Would there be things that you'd have put in that are not there? Do you even think about that?
0: Because this was early in my career, I was bound by responsibilities to the heirs. So I created a piece with what I was allowed to do. And as I look back on it, I don't know that I would I would change anything because the rest is my own commentary. And one of the things about, about this piece is it's very simple on its face, but what is the depth of it is, is how simple it is, how simple he was, how clear. The one thing he wanted was to talk about music and to be a composer. There was no garbage in his life. There was no dark, you know, monstrous things in the closet. No matter what anybody says, there just wasn't. You know, he was a composer. And here's how you know. You can't have turned out that much music, that much information, just in writing it, never mind actually constructing it, die at 38 and have time to cause trouble and have extra children and, you know, you know, gallivant around. There's just no time. And you didn't have computer programs to help you. Everything was done by hand. So no, no time at all. This is what he was, a composer.
1: You left out quite a bit about George Gershwin's life, parts of his Hollywood career. I mean, he was in 1931. He did a movie called Delicious, he and Ira, and it flopped and he left Hollywood a failure.
0: Well, I don't know that he left Hollywood a failure because he just wrote a few songs for it and he wrote i mean there's a fun, cute funny songs in it and blah 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 or whatever else those things tend to come up in encores but you see when you construct a piece like this to give tidbits of information they don't it doesn't really relate to anything the real failure in hollywood was later you know was when he died that he went and tried a song and delicious I don't know that so much focus is put on that, but I, again, you say so he went to Hollywood, he composed this and that song, and he flopped, so he came back to New York. There's no story there. I mean, the whole thing is constructed to give you an idea. I'm never about just dropping the information. And in fact, if you think about it, and I bet you if you ask me any question that you think, well, I thought that was missing, I'll tell you exactly where it is and in what form. Go ahead, I'd love to find it. Of that. the I saying. Well, of the icing is in a Broadway show. He talks about that again to do the numbers. I mean, there are a thousand of them. So right, yeah. you know, um, of the icing comes up in um, in encores when people ask for it or where I'm in the mood to do something. But it's really the idea and the idea of of the icing was that he was a big huge Broadway success, which is addressed in the first fifteen minutes of the show. You know, doing things like "Embraceable You" and "There's a Someone to Watch Over Me" is far more familiar than
1: "Of the Icing Baby." His final uh, voyage to Hollywood where he died, there's a curious moment where you talk about how unhappy he was with the results on screen, yet when we see Shall We Dance or Damsel in Distress, I think they're fine, which means that he was, you know, he wanted certain things out of the songs and he didn't get them. To a composer, the process of making a movie is,
0: is dreadful things get cut up to an extent where you don't quite recognize what you wrote. They get reassigned, refixed. You wrote the theme for one thing and all of a sudden something else is going on. It's definitely collaborative, but collaborative to the degree where you write and then the editor and the director can take your work and do whatever they want with it. So whatever your intention is, you have to give that up. And I can assume that that made him miserable. Because composers want music to be front and center. And also in the movie, the music is all the way in the background. I don't even know that's hearing. And it's just sort of this emotional drivel that goes on, even if it's great. So I think he would have been quite miserable about that.
1: When I talk to people about what he would have done after he died, had he lived, the general thought is that he'd probably have written more classical music.
0: Well, he would have written more classical music because he was, he was he actually said that. I don't think that's... I think that's quite legitimate. That's quite
1: real. He was quite clear about that. Hershey Felder, let's talk a little about this Bernstein show. Now that just premiered a couple of years ago, 2010.
0: And it's been a big hit. People really love that thing. There, I was able to dig deep into the Bernstein
1: character. How was putting that show together for you?
0: That was a lot of fun because there, I wasn't. I wasn't bound by the family. I wasn't bound by by rules. The Gershwins scoured everything that I wrote in the script, and they didn't influence what I wrote, but I don't think they were prepared to sign off on a you know something no good, right. The Bernsteins left me alone completely, and that allowed me a certain kind of freedom which allowed me to say things that I wouldn't have said if I would have been scared to say them and so Bernstein is a very, very delicious acting thing and musical thing it's fun people really love it did you ever meet him yes at the end of his life for just um a few minutes you know he was quite sick um and i was a baldwin artist he was as well
1: in that show how do you balance the broadway with the classical
0: that's the problem of the show it's sort of all of bernstein's problems you know he was remembered for west side story i hated that didn't hate the West Side Story, hated that he was remembered for that, and had all this music. He wanted to be considered a great composer, and what he was remembered for was West Side Story. Now, West Side Story's a great score, great contemporary score. But he was so mad at the end of his life, and so this poses a big problem for him. So there's that throughout the whole play.
1: What do you think of uh, the music from uh, 1600 Pennsylvania?
0: Well, I don't know all of it, but I know a couple of songs, you know, Bless This How, what do you make our house a home? Da, 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 da. It's been sung on a number of occasions. I think it was Jamie who said in an interview, she says, my, father, my father said this was going to be an important piece. And she goes, The whole family says, Oh, the moment they knew he said important piece, that was the end of it, finished. So I think he wanted it to be an important piece, and it played 16 performances or 15, 18 performances, something. But, you know, stuff like that happens to everybody, you know, and then A Quiet Place, oh, a big piece. Well, it's a complicated piece. I actually like Trouble in Tahiti, which is the, the ultimately the central piece of uh, its act two of A Quiet Place, but I think A Quiet Place is a bit of a stretch. But there's some fine music in it. Even Mass is complicated. I mean, it's all very complicated, you know, but it's, as you say, with, with composers, you don't know for 100 years of it
1: means anything or not. That's true when you're going back and doing these other shows, you're looking. You're not looking at someone contemporary. Uh, when you're doing that, how how do you try to create a character? In the older shows, the shows Beethoven. Well, you take
0: impressions. Beethoven was deaf. You start there. He was a great musician, actually. That's where you start. You don't start with his deafness. But then you start layering it. You read his writing and you see in his thought process, his pattern, And eventually, how did I get Beethoven? have a very, you know, German voice that he speaks very open, yeah. And and you start putting pieces together. You make the recipe. Or as my director Joel often says, we're making an elephant. Anything that's not an elephant, you have to take out. And wherever there's a hole, we put in more elephant. And that's (laughs) that's really what it is, (laughs) you know. It's about construction and it's about thinking and it's about making a story make sense. And it's about ultimately having an idea and executing that
1: idea. Uh, On these shows, how long does it take to get them the way you want them? Is it multiple cities until you finally freeze it? Yes,
0: I don't freeze anything. I don't believe in that word that scares the living daylights out of me. I finesse and I refine, but if there's a better idea, I would like to say I'm constantly working. I'm not constantly tinkering or, or being sloppy, but I'll do a performance. It's a proper performance. And then, after, as you see in the Gershwin, even there's no flubs. There's no, what am I doing? It's crystal clear exactly. But if after I come up with a better idea, you know that I have an idea there, then I'll institute that and try that.
1: But you're not really changing any of the music, or are you?
0: No. You know, but that's the great thing. I have these great scores to work with. You know, nowadays, the composers, they don't have much scores. But it's so great that I have the best scores around. I have the best composers. Everybody else, all these musicals that they're doing, they're struggling to find the melody. And I've got the best of them for the past 300 years. It works very well for me.
1: Is there any particular composer you just simply enjoy performing more on stage? It has to be the one that I'm performing the moment I'm performing it. You have to.
0: Because, you know, if you're working on something, you say, well, oh, I really don't feel like being here. I'd rather be somewhere
1: else. I'm not sure that really works, <laughs> you know? I understand you're married to the former Prime Minister of Canada. I am indeed. She was a, a
0: conservative. I'm glad you're also confused here. She was so conservative. No wonder people don't want to talk to me here. <laughs> Kim was not a conservative, she was a Clinton Democrat. There's a huge difference between Canadian conservative and American conservative. It's not in a time where conservatives, it's fiscally conservative and socially 1,000% liberal. And if you look at her history, I I mean here, well, so you know that this is somebody who put her job on the line for equality in the workplace, the rape shield. And in fact, America has a great deal to thank. She put it on the table because we were the ones, not we, we Canadians, but my wife, you know, gay marriage started up there, you know? And so, you know without any issues except for for the some people in the gay community think it's too bourgeois you know which is the way things go but no matter what you do people complain like you know and, and feminist on top of it all That's why I always shudder And people in Berkeley. They ask me, conservative, I said, it's the wrong kind of conservative, folks. (laughs) It's your kind of conservative.
1: Very funny. Let me me ask you then, as a Canadian viewing the United States and what's happening here, I mean, what are your thoughts?
0: Well, you know that the United States is not one thing. It's all over the place. I get to play um, 25-cent quarterback or whatever the expression is, sofa quarterback or side seat driver. You know, I don't have to vote here. I mean, I'm a green card holder, and I uh, make my living here and support a lot of people by the work that we do here in both uh, theater and and the staff and so on and so forth. Uh, and I've been a a New Yorker, a Los Angelino, a San Diegan, and now a San Francisco Bay Area. If that's what we want to call, it. for the most of my adult life, I consider myself very American in this way. I tend not to formulate opinions because it's very complicated. What I would prefer to see is a lot more tolerance, a lot more tolerance and a lot less religion influence because, you know, we got to live here and it's not about an entity we don't see. It's about what we do see. So on a very basic level, I'd prefer that. But then again, who am I? I do what I do and that's it. So.
1: Except that as an entertainer, of course, it puts you in some kind of slightly different position and is the husband of a former prime minister of Canada.
0: One of the wisest things, and I know my, is that I know my place. You know, a lot of, again, a lot of husbands and wives, they like to go to their partner's events. It's just as soon I ask him to come and give me piano lessons that I'm going to sit at one of the events with her leaders and tell her how things should go. What I love more than anything is listening and learning to meet really great people and just to shut up and listen. And that has been my way of operating from the beginning. I enjoy being around the kind of people that I wouldn't have any opportunity to meet and just because I'm on stage and just because I'm addressing 100, 1,000, 2,000 people at a time doesn't mean I know more. What I do know about is my art and there I'm happy to address the audience but I'm certainly not going to tell people how to live at home, you know. (laughs)
1: Hershey felt a couple of questions. Uh, Sunday night's performance, you said that Monday you would be going over uh, to Mike Strunsky, who was the uh, Mike Strunsky's house. Uh, He is the uh, nephew of Ira Gershwin and looking at Gershwin memorabilia. Did you go and what did you see? I did go and I
0: saw some things that I knew about, you know, lots of there's many photos there and paintings that George himself did and some music and letters. And it's always so very touching to see George, a postcard of George, a sketch of George, George sketching his brother Ira. You know, it really comes to life. It really, it's real. I love it.
1: Would you have liked, well, I'm not going ask if you would have liked to have known him, you would have probably just like gawked.
0: Oh, George?
1: Yeah. No, I've
0: met a lot of famous people. I would have it would have been exciting to meet him, you know. He was a great force, and, you know, he was a great inventor of music. And I think it would have been exciting. I don't know that I would have gawked. I would have wanted to talk to him about what he's doing. I would have wanted to improvise with him. I would have wanted to play some of his works for him and go, what do you think,
1: <laughs> you know. From everything I know, he would have been happy to do that. Looking at his age when he started, he was 20, 21, he died at 38. In another time, he would have been a rock star. I think he
0: was a rock star. I think very much so in the 20s and early 30s until he got serious uh, in terms of Porgy I think he was very much so a rock star. I mean, everybody loved him. You know, well, I mean, probably. I mean, he was created dance music for America. Rhapsody in Blue, I mean, hugely famous. I mean, George Gershwin, it's a magic name. And if you think back at those days... Well in nineteen twenty four so he was twenty-six but you think back to those days, I mean George Gershwin and inspired plenty of ire, but you know so what I mean he was a a special a special dude, and I think people were excited by his presence.
1: Hershey Felder, this performance this plays through July seventh, and then coming up, you go to
0: Bernstein in Cleveland, and then. Franz Liszt in Laguna, and then back here with The Pianist of Wilson Lane, which is a play I directed, and then the Geffen Theater in L.A. with American Story. It's all something. you ever do movies? I've been asked. I've tested for a few things. Uh, I've done a few, nothing big. But I'm so busy that I never have time to say, well, you know, can you commit two months? No. And I've actually, you know, there are people who have actually developed scripts for the kind of thing I did. And people have always said, you know, even Billy Crystal said, he said, he made more money from his one-man show than he ever did for doing movies. You know what they say in the theater, you can't make a living, but you can make a killing. And from time to time, it's a nice thing.
1: (laughs) You've been listening to an interview with Hershey Felder recorded in 2013 about his one-man show, George Gershwin Alone, which will be performed live on Sunday, September 13th at 5 p.m. Pacific. For more information, you can go to Berkeley Rep or TheatreWorks Silicon Valley websites. I'm Richard Walensky, and see you next Sunday for another edition of the Bay Area Theatre Podcast. <laughs>